the message that men, that people who are assigned male at birth, don't have the ability to control themselves is a dehumanizing message. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and any and all abuse. Today's episode is going to be a bit of a rough one for me. Uh, today, I'd like to talk about one of my assaults that I don't generally talk about. I have experienced anal rape, and that's it. That's what we're going to talk about today. So, <sighs> trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following trauma, abuse, sexual assault, sex, the morning after pill, and mention of homophobia. This episode includes a graphic description of one of my assaults. If you are a non survivor family member, please skip this episode. I also want to address my language in this episode. I am a queer, non-binary person who was assigned female at birth. The sexual abuse that I am dismantling all occurred at the hands of cis men and boys, and most of it occurred when I still believed that I was cis and straight. Because this is my experience, and because I'm discussing socialization and cultural messages within a cis heteropatriarchy, my language will shift back and forth between inclusive and less inclusive. For this, I apologize, and I am doing my best to work on this habit and do better. Abuse and assault of any kind can happen to anyone, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. I've experienced rape uh, a number of different times. This is one of the assaults that was the most difficult for me to make space for internally, and also one of the most difficult to begin talking about. And I'll be honest, this is, I mean, the most publicly that I've ever talked about it. I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think one reason is the stigma that continues to exist in our culture around any kind of anal sex, and that is unhealthy. Anal sex between two consenting adults is uh, beautiful. But because we live in such a homophobic culture, we associate anal sex with gay sex, and we condemn that. We don't make as much space for it culturally. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stigma, there's a lot of shame, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of disgust that it's met with, despite it being extremely popular in pornography. So people coming forward with non-consensual experiences, uh, it, it doesn't make it any easier. I think the cultural stigma surrounding anal sex in general makes it even more difficult for survivors of anal rape to talk about their experiences and to seek support, to seek community, to seek healing. I've felt shame around all of my assaults, but this one I think um, 
the the shame felt a little different. It was it was a unique kind of shame. Uh, it was different. I was in an abusive relationship for three years through seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Uh, we were both minors. We were both still technically children. And it's important to say that children can still rape. And the relationship that I was in, it was emotionally abusive, it was mentally abusive, and it was sexually abusive. And near the end, when I brought this up with him and said, I believe this is an abusive relationship, you're acting in abusive ways, um, he said something that I'm sure will be familiar to a lot of people listening. I have never hit you. Yeah. Once again, that is not the only kind of abuse. And if you've experienced abuse outside of that that didn't involve physical abuse, your trauma is valid and you are welcome here. I don't think I'm ready to discuss that relationship in full at this time. I think uh, a lot or most of my sexual trauma actually stems from that relationship. It's uh, it's very loaded and it's very confusing and, uh, and just difficult to talk about. There's a lot there to unpack. So today I'm just going to focus on this particular instance of abuse. It's sort of popped up for me a few weeks ago and it's just kind of been um, resurfacing in my thoughts, keeping me up at night, that kind of thing recently. And usually it doesn't, it doesn't usually come up, uh, as much, you know, I, I, I haven't really been getting flashbacks, um, the way I used to for a long time. So I think what's been happening lately and, you know, for, forgive the metaphor, but it's kind of like when you, when you have an injury, like a splinter, maybe some like tiny piece of broken glass gets embedded very deeply under your skin and it can... It can stay there, actually, for years if it's deep enough. And your body will, you know, sometimes be able to to break it down internally and sometimes years will pass and then the body will, it will push it up and out. And it sort of feels like some of my traumas are starting to do that as I work on this podcast where all of a sudden um, something that's just kind of been there uh, you know, and I've been functioning around it and without even thinking of it all the time or noticing it as much. Um, and all of a sudden it'll just start working its way to the surface and start kind of poking at me. And I think I'll start doing more of these personal story episodes where if something, you know, just has to work itself out that, you know, these episodes will kind of be like me taking a pair of tweezers and and extracting something that is ready to make its its way into the light of day. So when this occurred, it was about a year into my relationship with this person, and there had already been one penetrative uh, sexual assault, and that was the way I lost my virginity. And that's another episode. But when this occurred, um, it was eighth grade, 
So I was, what, like 14, 15? I don't know. And it was the winter. There was a big snowstorm. And we were at school. And school announced that it was closing early. And so there was just this huge pile up the pickup line. You know, all the parents were coming to pick their kids up. It was just snowing very hard. Um, and it was kind of mass chaos. And it was going to take a while for some parents to get there. My boyfriend and I, the relationship was frowned on, which made everything so much worse because it fed into this kind of Romeo and Juliet kind of forbidden love, you know, star-crossed lovers um, fantasy uh, that we had. And it, instead of helping me, it actually only served to throw me even further into the relationship. And it just meant that he would seek more and more covert means of gaining access to me. And this particular day, since there was so much chaos with the pickup line and school closing early and everything, he said, hey, no one's no one's watching. We're not being properly supervised. Come with me. Let me take you to some of the old classrooms that I used to you know, be in. Let me show you my old classrooms. Let me show you my old um, class pet. Like there's this guinea pig named Snickers. And I was like, okay. So we went and we looked in these old classrooms and I was like, okay. And it was kind of like a getting to know you kind of thing. And um, since we weren't allowed to date, it was kind of like a date. And I saw the guinea pig and it was like, cool, that sure is a guinea pig. Cool. Okay. And, um, and this whole time I'm very nervous about us being missed or caught, you know, and wanting to get back because like what, what happens when our, you know, when our parents get there and, and all this is by the way, before the days of cell phones, um, there was no way to contact us, no way to find us. You know, there's also the added thing of like hazardous weather conditions. The, the longer we're away, the more dangerous driving becomes. So it's just added factors of, me kind of asking like, oh, should we get back? But as we're headed back, he brought me into the boy's bathroom. And I remember how unwilling I was to go in there, how uncomfortable I was to go in there, and how confused I was why he would want to bring me in there. It's like, it's a boy's bathroom. It's kind of gross. Like, why would we want to be in there? And he was like, well, for some privacy. So obviously he wanted to fool around. And I was like, you know, but it's kind of, that's kind of gross. And he was like, yeah, but like, you know, we'll be left alone. And I was like, well, what if somebody comes in to use the bathroom? Like, how are you possibly going to explain me being in there? And he was like, don't worry about it. No one's going to come in. And so he just, he ignored all of my discomfort. And I honestly, within this relationship, my boundaries were never respected. And I was in a place where that was something that I was very much, I had been conditioned into accepting that lack of respect for any attempt to set boundaries. And my discomfort was continuously ignored. So we ended up in the boys' bathroom and he brought us into a stall And at this point, I'm thinking that we're just going to, you know, kind of fool around. And he had me take my pants off, you know, so I think they're probably like down around my ankles or something. 
and he turns me around. Um, so I'm facing the wall and face, I've got a toilet in front of me and, um, you know, and the two sides of the, of the stall on either side. And, uh, and he's between me and the door. And I remember at that point, just kind of feeling that, um, sort of trapped feeling. And I remember asking like, what are you doing? And he said, like, I don't know what he said. I don't know. But, um, but I think he had his pants down as well. And, and I remember he grabbed my hips and, um, and he started pressing up against me and, and I tried to move away and I tried to like angle my hips away or turn away. And he held my hips very firmly. He didn't allow me to move away. And he said, hold still, don't move. And I think I asked, what are you doing again? But that was just his response, like, don't move, was just that instruction. And he pushed. And I tried to move away again, but his hands were on my, my hips restraining me. And I felt the most, what was at that point in my life, the most excruciating pain that I had ever felt. And it was so painful that I think I blacked out. I honestly don't remember how I ended up on the floor, but it was so painful that I just dropped. Uh, And I'm lucky I didn't, you know, bash my head against the toilet or something. I think I was just barely conscious enough to like control my fall. Um, And I am so lucky that he didn't cause like internal damage or something and that my fall didn't like make anything worse because you can, if you don't know this, number one, anal sex without proper preparation or lubrication is horrific and dangerous. You can cause permanent damage to a person. Please do not ever do that. I, I honestly, I can't tell you how excruciatingly painful it was. It was, it was fucking horrific. And I was on the floor at that point and he was like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong? And, uh, and so he's sitting over me and I'm on the floor, like dazed and staring up at the ceiling and trying desperately to remain conscious. And I'm like muttering some nonsensical mantra to myself. And I still remember it. And it was... (laughs) so dumb it was um uh and i i say that to myself with affection but it was like back in the days of me being a baby witch and like all the resources that i had were um random like online pages and i had read this um i had read this mantra that someone had put next to i don't know like the witches read or something and it was like nothing is truth all things may be or some 
something like that. Something that like at the time, like my, my teenage brain was like, that's so profound. (laughs) I was like, yeah. Um, but at the time, like that was for some reason, that was like what my brain was trying to, that was the closest that I had to a prayer. And so that was, yeah, that's honestly, that's what it was. That was the closest thing that I had to a prayer. And, um, and actually me saying that helps me find a little bit more compassion for me, like chanting something that now I find very silly, but yeah, I, I think I started praying and that was just me. I think trying to center myself and also trying to stay conscious because I was in agony. Um, I was in an agony that was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And he was like hovering uselessly over me being like, are you okay? Oh my gosh, are you okay? And, uh, and I just said, you know, like I, I just kept breathing and I, I managed to, um, to stay conscious and be all right and, um, and get my pants back on. And he helped me up and, um, or at least I assume he helped me up. I actually can't remember. The next thing I remember was we were exiting the door of the bathroom and, um, and the janitor was there because he had been sent all over the school searching for us. We had been missed for like a while. So bar- both our parents, who fucking hated each other, both our mothers um, had arrived in the snowstorm in the cars and had been waiting for us. And then, of course, seeing each other realized that we were alone, unsupervised, somewhere in the school. And it's a snowstorm. Everyone needs to go the fuck home and stay safe and stay off the roads in this, like, tiny New England town where driving is dangerous. And what's going on? He is pulling this shit in a bathroom. Um, So the janitor finds us, and I am, I'm sure, pale as fucking death, like, leaning on the door jam, and he's helping me. And I used that to explain what was going on and why we were in a boy's bathroom. And I just said, I got sick and he was helping me because I figured it looked like I had probably been vomiting. And, um, and now I look back and I, I think of that janitor's face and the way he looked at me. And I wonder if maybe that janitor is like the only person that might have suspected that I had just been hurt or some inkling of what had just happened to me. Because everyone else assumed that what had been going on was consensual and and we were both shamed for it. So I was met with with slut-shaming, which honestly was the aftermath of most of my assaults because we would often be caught exiting some seedy-looking situation and it was always assumed that it was consensual and and I would be met with shame when I desperately needed compassion. And, uh, And I honestly, I think that contributed to the trauma. It was very difficult. But we went home. We were both 
taken home by very unhappy parents. Um, and um, it was humiliating and very isolating because uh, I, I didn't tell anyone what had just happened. I didn't even tell him what had just happened. And he didn't understand what he had done. Him not understanding and not intending to do that, as far as I know, made it a lot harder for me to finally identify what happened as anal rape. But years later, when I looked back at it, and I realized that he didn't allow me to move away, he didn't listen to my discomfort, you know, in the whole in the whole situation, and then I look back on his hands on my hips, holding me in place and not allowing me to move away and instructing me not to. And the way he pushed without any care for his partner and just uh, focused on what felt good to him. That to me, it doesn't matter. His ineptitude doesn't matter. Him not understanding doesn't matter. It was rape. And I went home, and I think there was blood when I checked myself, but not as much as I was expecting for how painful it had been. I remember, like, the next time that we were on the phone together, he checked in with me, um, and he said when we were in the bathroom, I could have sworn I felt myself, like, slip inside you are you okay? Like, do you need to, like, are you going to get pregnant? Or, you know, like, then he was concerned about it. And I just said, no, don't worry about it. Like, I'm not going to get pregnant. And I just, like, didn't talk about it. Like, I didn't go into detail. I didn't explain to him what he had done. I was too humiliated by the, by the facts. And so I, I was just completely alone with it. And I will also say like, this is after, after the first assault where I lost my virginity, that was without a condom. And I had to take the morning after pill. And that was horrific. That was more pain. That was so excruciating that I almost passed out in the school hallway I had to, like, go to the nurse's office and go home. Like, I went back to middle school having taken the morning after pill. That's fucked up. And it changed my body for the rest of my life. Like, I I got my period for the first time when I was 11 years old. And sure, I got cramps. Yes, they were unpleasant. But nothing compared to what I suffered after I took the morning after pill. Like, I don't know if there's science to back this up, but all I know is that after I took the morning after pill, my periods became debilitating. Where, like, I would be on the ground sobbing, like, nearly passing out and contemplating calling an ambulance. And that was, like, something that happened to me every month, since I took that pill. And that was, you know, that was, um, that was because of him. 
And so I had already suffered this. And again, he was like, oh, are you going to get pregnant? Do you need to, like, are you going to have to take that pill again? And it was like, fuck you. Fuck you. Like, what what I had already suffered for, for his shit, I just remember feeling so offended by that. Like, oh, you're just going to, like, grab my hips and push and then you're gonna ask later about pregnancy cute very cute but um i just kind of stuffed that one down and didn't talk about it and did my best not to think about it and i can't remember like how long later maybe it was months or maybe like half a year like i honestly can't remember but it was like a while i remember i was on the phone with him and he was talking about someone that had, you know, people were saying had supposedly had anal sex and he was being really judgmental and saying how disgusting that was. And I think like, I can't remember if he used the word depraved, but there was that undertone of like, you know, shaming it, being like, that's fucking disgusting. Why would anybody do that? Uh, you know, which was at its core, extremely homophobic and also just like prudish and fucked up. And what was striking me was in that moment was also that it was fucking hypocritical and that he had no idea um and that i had been dealing with what i had experienced all by myself and he was going to sit here and go on some kind of like rant about anal sex and how fucking disgusting it was and and what got me was him saying like i would never do that i am never going to do that Ugh, like i would never do that and i just lost my shit and said, dude, you have had anal sex. You have had that. That happened. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, that time in the bathroom, that's what happened. You said you you thought like it felt like you slept inside me. You did, just not where you were expecting. And I and I explained. I I said like, and it was so painful. That's why it ended up on the floor. Like, that's why I nearly passed out, because it was so painful. And he laughed. (sighs) And he laughed. And he said, that's not anal sex. That's knock, knock, wrong door. And so his whole thing was, well, it was an accident, so it wasn't, you know, that's not what that was. Like, that doesn't count. And I think continued with his his bullshit rant, shaming other people for their sexuality while he continued to be a fucking predator. Um, and looking back on that response, you know, in, in reference to the knock-knock on door thing is... <sighs> Why the fuck were you knocking, bro? No one invited you. What the fuck are you doing? It just took me so many years to even, to even get there. To even get to that place where I could realize that, where I could realize that what happened was an assault. It wasn't consensual. 
I didn't consent to any of that. Like even like if he had slipped inside vaginally, I didn't consent to that either. I consented to absolutely fucking none of that. And he was so focused on his own needs or desires that he didn't respect any of the boundaries that I was trying to throw up. Um, He didn't respect the comfort of his partner. And then he didn't allow me to move away or protect myself. Fuck him. What a piece of shit. Oftentimes when I make episodes, I have a certain message in mind. Like I have something that I want to communicate or something that I want to say. And I think the I think the personal story episodes are just a little bit difficult for me, not only because they're incredibly personal, but also because I can't I feel like they don't polish up the same way. But I also think that's important. I can't put a nice little hat on it and be like, oh, the moral of the story is they're just different. Um I think they're pretty raw. Um, pretty real. But I also think that's very important. And ultimately, I think what they are is just me saying, this happened. This happened. And it matters. And if it happened to you, too, you're not alone. And it wasn't your fault. And with this particular assault, too, I think another reason I wanted to share it, this is true of of all rape, but especially of anal rape, because there's, um, it just seems more personal somehow. I mean, it's all personal. It just, it just feels like there's an extra level of violation and an extra level of cultural stigma and silence and shame built up around it. And also when you say the words anal rape, It elicits thoughts of incredible violence and something that I just wanted to say. I wanted to offer this story, this experience um, that I had, which was anal rape. And I just want to say, yes, it was violence, but it was also so hard for me to identify it as violence because it wasn't loud. Yes, there was force, but it was quiet force. There was restraint, but it wasn't the restraint that you see in movies or TV shows where these things are depicted. There were just hands on my hips that refused to move, and they were the hands of someone that I trusted and loved, and that makes it very confusing and very difficult to identify as restraint or force. And I think ultimately that right there is a big part of why I wanted to talk about this today. Rape isn't always loud. More often than not, it is very, very quiet. Definitely so. And if that was your experience, it's still real and you're not alone. It's also just sad to me that this boy took pretty much all my firsts, and in most cases they were traumatizing events where I didn't feel respected or listened to. I 
deserved to not be traumatized like that. I deserved to be able to explore my sexuality organically as I grew up. And, um, you know, like maybe, maybe I would have been like super into anal sex, you know, who, who knows? Maybe that was, you know, something that, you know, could have been really beautiful between me and my partner, you know, and I'll, I'll level with you. Like that's something that we've tried and just the multiple anal traumas that I have experienced make it too difficult. You know, it's, it's possible that it was just never going to be, be my thing. It is certainly like something that is just not a lot of people's thing. That's fine. But I deserved to not have oh, so much trauma, like right out of the gate, like starting my sexual life. I just wish so much that I could have been free to discover that on my own. And instead of it being where it, it could have just been a a discovery of, is this for me? Instead of it having to be this thing of, well, how do I tell if this is for me or if this is the trauma? Because I have a huge amount of trauma now to unpack and like having just like, I wish I just could have had like a beautiful sexual life with my partner. And it wasn't constantly about unpacking trauma and undoing, like, and unraveling all this damage that people had done. I don't know. I deserved that. I deserved that life. And, um, and I'm sad I didn't get it. I don't, I don't often think of things, um, in those terms exactly. So it kind of hit me when I said that. I deserved, I deserved that life. And it just, uh, it isn't, you know, it isn't the one I got. Um, because people chose to do harm. So something that I wanted to talk about in terms of consent is remind everybody. Consent should be verbal, enthusiastic, and ongoing. And just because you have consented to one sex act does not mean that you have consented to any other sex act. Why am I saying this? Because I have heard from so many people that have, um, and specifically AFAB people who have been having sex with AMAB, like assigned male at birth people, generally cis men, who have been having vaginal sex and then that partner has felt that it was okay to, without checking with their partner, just go straight into anal sex. And that is assault. If you didn't explicitly consent to anal sex, they didn't check with you, that is rape. That is not okay. Just because you consented to vaginal sex does not mean that anal sex is okay. If you have ever experienced that, and I'm so sorry if this is the first time that you are having that realization, but it's an important one to have. That was rape. That was an assault. That was not okay. And I think that needs to be talked about 
more because there are a bunch of people with penises walking around thinking that was something that was okay to do or that they were just like trying their luck and like, oh, she wasn't into it. And it's like, no, like you don't get to do that. You just raped somebody. Fuck you. Yeah. Just the entitlement, the entitlement that, um, that some people feel to other people's bodies blows my mind. And oh, something else I want to talk about is um and I struggled I struggled with this as well because I was when I was a when I was in this relationship with this boy, I was being bombarded by this message that I needed to be careful and show more restraint and monitor my behavior because he couldn't control himself. I was constantly being bombarded with this message that teenage boys couldn't control themselves. They were just so hormonal. They couldn't control themselves. And uh, very, very boys will be boys uh, kind of message. And I really internalized it and just bought into this idea that like once a guy started doing something that he was just pulled, like driven by this hormonal physical force of desire that like he couldn't stop that like and that was something that was reinforced you know during my relationship with this with this guy you know very much like something that he would say were you know like well I just couldn't stop or you know stuff stuff like that I couldn't I just couldn't control myself you were too sexy or you know just just bullshit and it took me years to really dismantle that belief because I was surrounded by boys who had no self-control. And here's the thing. It's not, it's not that they didn't have control. It's that they didn't exert self-control. They had that capability, but they had been given the same message that I was being given about them. They were being given that about themselves, that their desire was so forceful and so powerful that it would just sweep them away and they would just be lost in in this, you know, hormonal rush and uh and that they wouldn't be capable of controlling themselves once they were feeling a certain way. And that is not true. That is not true. And the message that men, that people who are assigned male at birth are swept away by this physical desire and don't have the ability to control themselves is a dehumanizing message. It is a disservice to men. And I will die on that hill. It is a fucking lie that dehumanizes men. It makes them out to be animals. They're not. They're human beings. Sure, they feel things very powerfully. Sure, they feel things differently. But I've talked to people with penises, my partner included, who back me up in this, who say, yeah, like I can be in the middle of sex and if she says no or she starts crying, I will hop the fuck off because why the fuck would I want to have sex with someone who's crying? Why would I want to hurt somebody? I'm not into that. So really what it comes down to is not being an asshole, is valuing your partner, is valuing consent, and valuing having 
a partner who was also enjoying the experience. If you are prioritizing your desires and your physical sensations above those of your partner, that is not inherent to your sex or your gender. You are not an animal that has no self-control. You can do it. You can be a decent human being. And any message that told you that you have no control is bullshit, that you are continuing to feed yourself in order to justify being a rapist. So me declaring that message as dehumanizing to men, that's part of my feminism because that is a patriarchal message that is bullshit and it's not okay. It is a disservice to men and I think we need to be done with it. And it also is a message that is used to shift the blame of rape off of men and onto women. Femme folks need to act a certain way and be be modest, be proper. Be careful because, because men just don't have control the way you do. That's a fucking lie. And it's not okay. And it wasn't your fault. They had control. They chose not to exercise it. They chose to prioritize themselves. They chose to hurt you instead of controlling themselves. I just have no more patience with any of that shit. And I feel very strongly about it because with this boyfriend that I've been talking about in this episode, during the three years that we were together, there were three penetrative assaults and then more non-penetrative sexual assaults than I can even count that I was coerced into, that I was pressured into, um, things that were humiliating and put me in an uncomfortable situation where I got in trouble or was shamed, things that I didn't want to do and I was coerced into more than I can count. I don't, I don't know how many times. And I'm just so tired of that message that it was because I was too flirtatious or because I initiated one thing that whatever happened next was my fault because he couldn't control himself. I call bullshit and I'm done. I'm done with that. I think you should be too. I think we all should. Let's put that away. I think we can all do better. I do believe that dismantling rape culture is possible and that we as humans are capable of creating that world. If it ever seems impossible, it's only because it's been this way since all of recorded human history. But we are an incredibly young species, and it's understandable that emotional and social evolution would be necessary. This is a time when profound growth and change is necessary on every front. That's the note I'll end on, one of hope and encouragement. We can and will do this. Do not despair. Keep going. Keep growing. Thank you so much for listening. I know this has been an intense episode. I know it's been a difficult one to record and edit. So please remember to practice good self-care today. Please check episode notes for support and resources. I do my best to edit smoothly, but did you notice any sudden subject changes or ever wonder why a musical break happened? There's always sections of the episode that don't make it into the final cut, but these are now available on my Patreon. 
You can join at various tiers to not only keep the podcast alive, but to gain access to all sorts of exclusive behind-the-scenes posts, pics, bonus audio, bloopers, sneak peeks, and even video episodes. For example, in this episode, I went on a rant about rape jokes and the way we excuse sexual assault in prisons. Livestream Q&A sessions are coming soon. I hope to see you there and that you'll help me take this next big step with Finding Okay. A massive shout out to my patrons, Sadanka and Kathleen. Thank you both so much for your support. It means the world and is a game changer for me. I also want to give you an update on the letters for the FIRE project. Fear not, the deadline has been extended to the end of January. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, I've invited listeners to write a letter to their abuser and send it to me. Instructions for that can be found on my blog. I am receiving your letters, and thank you so much for sending them. I'm devoting an entire episode to the letters at the end of this season, which will be in February. If you included a personal note to me with your letter, I will write back to you. And I just want to let you know that I love you, and as soon as I have the spoons... I will get back to you. Please visit the podcast website, www.finding-ok.com. It's where you can find all the links to my social media. It's where the new blog is. It's where you can learn more about me and all my guests. It's where you can read reviews, leave reviews, contact me. It's also where you can find links to donate. There is also a private Finding OK Facebook group for survivors, and you are welcome there. Finding OK is crowdfunded. It is listener support that is keeping the podcast alive during the pandemic. If only a handful of the people who listened to each episode donated one or two dollars, the podcast would be fully funded. If you can't afford to donate or become a member on Patreon, one of the best ways you can support the show is by reviewing and sharing online or by word of mouth. Thank you again for listening. This has been Finding Okay. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on pointing. And hold on. And hold on. Hold on for your life. For your life. For your life. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on fighting. And hold on. first boyfriend and you stumbled onto this, I just want you to know I faked every orgasm. Okay, bye.